0: Yo, local bands, I know selling 45 pre-sale tickets for your first show seems impossible. And it kind of is. Unless you listen to this podcast. This week, I have Sean Healy on the podcast. He created WeBookBands.com. He is also Sean Healy Presents. Sean Sean was a guy that I really wanted to get on the podcast, but... I wasn't really sure what to talk to him about or what to ask him, but then I realized, yo, I I was in a local band once, you know? I I know a lot of local bands. I am friends with a lot of people in local bands and I get it. It's it seems strange to have to sell your own tickets. But there's a reason for it, and Sean's going to talk about it in this episode. And for those of you that that don't even know how to sell those 45 pre-sales this sean's gonna teach you how to do that he's gonna teach you how to promote your band when you don't have a following he's gonna he's gonna teach you the importance of making those pre-sales he's gonna tell you guys the secrets of growing in the industry getting from from small band that has zero followers to playing with artists like kendrick lamar and g easy and huge acts like that if you want to get out of small venues and you want to start playing venues like the viper room the roxy the regent house of blues if you guys want to grow in this industry listen to this podcast i'm gonna let sean do the rest of the work but if you guys are looking for adobe products if you are trying to get your editing game on and strong go down in the description. I have a link for you. Students, you get a 60% discount. Yeah, six zero percent discount. You guys, how crazy is that? All right, Sean, talk to the people.
1: Hi, I'm uh, Sean Healy from Sean Healy Presents and WeBookBands.com. Our concert promotions company has been around since 1996, so we're in our 22nd year of uh, promoting concerts. Uh, We started out as a or I started out as a local call-in band booking service for local bands in Hollywood. Um, I was operating out of my apartment. I was a former actor who was doing uh, performance art warehouse shows uh, at my theater company. I was producing them, uh, much like open mics. And through that, I met a lot of musicians. And I called a nightclub one day and I said, hey, I got all these crazy acts that I'm doing at my theater. Uh, I think they'd be good in your bar. And I happened to meet a really cool bar owner who's like, sure, you can do your show here. And uh, he goes, what are you doing in the meantime? I said, nothing. I'm broke. I'm an actor. I'm doing whatever odd jobs I can. He said, well, I'm looking for someone to be the day manager at the bar and book the bands. Do you want to do it? And I didn't know anything about booking bands. I had just booked my little performance art warehouse show with poets and acoustic guitar players. And so I took the job and I started booking bands and being nice to musicians because I'm not one. I was a struggling artist. Uh, he opened more clubs, and I started taking more nights at different clubs. And at that time, you know, we're talking 22 years ago, people were still mailing in CDs and cassettes. So uh, I just put my number out there, and I said, call me if you need a show. And I had a little phone service, and that's how it began.
0: Wow, that's that's insane. So you weren't even, like, a part of the music industry. So how did you, like, what what did it feel like to go from, uh, from the theater world to, you know, to the music world?
1: Uh. You know, much the same. Um, you know, the the thing with this is how I've sort of always related it, uh, re- related the two. Um, I'm a firm. I've always been a music fan, so I didn't come in blindly. Like I would, I would come out here on spring break. I lived in Arizona. We'd come out here and we would just record K Rock all day. You know, on on cassette tapes and bring them back to Arizona so I was always in sort of new music especially like Depeche Mode and The Cure and New Order when that was coming up in the early 80s I was on top of that and those were the bands I loved but um, I always sort of related the two as you know good music good unique great music will always find its way It will always find if something's really good and it's music and it's a band or a singer, it's gonna get noticed. If you're a really good, unique actor, great actor you may not get noticed so uh that's the difference between the two there's a lot of great actors that no one's ever heard of that'll never make it there's a lot of great bands too that may never make it but you have a better shot i think as a musician if you're great than you do as an actor if you're great
0: so for for those local bands that that are literally as you would say nobodies that don't have a following that don't have a presence what what would they do what would be their first steps to getting you know booked for these shows and and you know on we sites like webookbands.com you guys have the available gigs that you you know are looking for bands to fill those slots so if there are people that aren't say in California that are not don't have access to maybe a website or a booking agent like yourself where where would they start
1: well that's a really good good uh, good question i mean you know we offer what we have in the markets that we have, you know, which are Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Portland, Seattle, Sacramento. But yeah, if you're living in Florida, you know, we're not in Florida. So, or if you're living in a small town in Iowa or something, then you don't have access to the venues or markets that we do. Um, the first step is really just finding out what your local establishments are, who books them. Um, you know, you have to do a little smoothing or whatever, but you, you find out who, what the local places are, and you know, you, you as long as you can, you have the time to do it. You play every gig that you can locally um, in those markets. Now, you don't do that in Los Angeles, New York, or the major markets. You don't play every gig that you can because then you're diluting your following. And everyone, you know, when they ask, hey, you know, we want to play your bar, the, the guy who books the bar is going to say, well, what's your draw like? I, I know you sound great, but how many people are going to come to see you? And so, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you, you're able to promote well and you, you, um, you know, you, you, you get your fans to the right shows
0: right so like what if what if you don't have a fan base what if you don't have anything so yeah, it's
1: just starting and you don't have anything and you just put some videos up on youtube and people are like hey i like your stuff really just play like the coffee houses the open mics um play a monday at a club when they have an off night or a local night you know you sort of got to take you know the the lesser gigs in the beginning to get well known and to earn your chops and to make sure your, your show is good. So you take, take all the off gigs that you can because a guy is going to offer you a bad night. If he doesn't know what your draw is, he's going to be like, okay, you can play Monday night at midnight and nobody wants to play Monday night at midnight. But if that's all there is, and you know, you got to get that experience under your belt.
0: Yeah. So Let's go back to, uh, to acting and like what the entertainment industry. Why did you want to get started in entertainment? You could have literally done anything. You could have been a banker, a lawyer, anything. Why'd you choose uh, entertainment?
1: Well, for me, it goes all the way back to uh, I had a cousin who was a very famous comedian um, back in the 70s. His name was Harvey Corman from The Carol Burnett Show. Um, And he was in Blazing Saddles and and movies like that. So he was a, you know, he was a star back then in the mid to late 70s. Um, And I remember the first time I saw him on TV, I was sitting on his lap in a hotel room watching the TV. And I looked at him and I looked at the TV and I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I must have been five years old. So I was enamored with him and I was enamored with acting. And I really just from that point on, I I got into theater heavily and I did as many plays as I could. And I, uh, you know, I worked hard and I trained and I got a full ride scholarship to Arizona State for theater. And I got a BFA in theater, Um, came out to L.A. at 21. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to be on, you know, 90210 and Melrose Place, you know. And so I grinded it out for, for, you know, probably 21 to 28. I was grinding it out.
0: Hey, that's really good for me to know because I just came here to California from Australia. So like I, I've been growing up all over the world and like I was like, go to California. That's where everybody else went to make it in film and photo. So like that's I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm not the only one that like has that thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, things you know, things happen in different ways. I can't tell you how many people when I was an actor, how many of the casting directors and the producers Came to Los Angeles to do other things and found their way into, you know, these situations where they're decision makers, but they didn't, you know, they didn't come here for that. So I didn't move to LA to, to book bands, you know, but it just sort of happened, and um, that's really the, the wonderful thing about Los Angeles, and and that's why I really do uh, encourage people to move here because, you know, there is a little bit of everything in in California. Um, you know, you you know, we always have which is awesome but yeah you deal with traffic you deal with earthquakes you deal with floods you deal with stuff like we all do around the world Um, but as far as opportunities go there are so many opportunities to find your way and your path in Los Angeles and it may not even be the path that you came here for but just the energies might take you down a different creative path and, and that's where you end up and so I, I knew I had to get out of Arizona and I knew I had to be here over New York because it was as an actor, you're either going to New York or L.A. So, you know, I knew L.A. was for me. And, you know, the first few years, I grinded it out, did a few little parts, got, you know, barely was able to eat um, and then fell into band booking. And, and the rest is history.
0: Wow. Wow. So what what real jobs did you have to have while you were building your own, you know, your own name, your own brand?
1: As far as the band stuff
0: goes, well, yeah, as far as yeah, as far as the band stuff goes. So, did you have like a quote unquote real job to like help you as far as like finances go? Yeah,
1: I, I sort of did. Um, the last like real job I had, I was a food delivery guy, and uh, there were three or four of us. We were all actors, and we all worked for this little restaurant in the valley that during the lunch hours would deliver to casting directors and studios and producers. Brilliant. So. <laughs> It was a way for us to like, you know, schmooze these people and I would put my postcards in their lunch bags and my headshots and I would I would network while I was delivering their lunch. Um at that time was also when I was doing the theater thing and the open mic thing. So that was sort of my real last job. Um I was still delivering food for I don't know a year, booking bands and then one night I made my rent money uh in one night. And on the band, and I was like, that, I gotta, I gotta switch gears. And so I went that route.
0: That's crazy. That's it, it's, it's amazing how putting yourself in a position to, to become something or put yourself in a place somewhere, it really pays off. And, and I do the same thing, you know, like I'll, I'll give business cards everywhere I go just because you don't know who you're going to run into and to, and to, and a lot of people will look at what you did and say, like, wow, that's kind of like messed up. He used his position. But no, you were smart about it. And, you know, like at the end of the day, like you're trying to build yourself like that's what you have to do
1: have to do it. And now I'm on the other end of it. And people are always, hey, can you get this for me? Can I get on this show? Can I do this? And, you know, we're you know, it's a full on business now. So so I can't be as like. Free as I used to be, I used to be like, yeah, man, just show up, play, I'll hook it up, you know, but, but now, you know, we have tremendous overhead and we have a full staff and, you know, things. Um, But, you know, I always believe in the artist opportunity, um, which is big, because I know I wanted someone to give me an opportunity when I was an artist. Um, And I do know, even when I was an actor, No, there's, it's a business, it's not a free for all, it's, you know, so you have to work at it, you have to understand, like, when I was, when I'm telling you about this theater and this warehouse, we would have to pay $40 a month to be a member of the theater and the warehouse. So, you had to pay just to be a part of the theater group. And at first, you're like, oh, I'm an actor. I'm not paying $40 to audition to be in a play and to rehearse and all that. But eventually, you sort of have to do that. And you earn your dues, and you do it. So you have to, as an artist, you have to invest in yourself. And a lot of times, that means financially, other than aesthetically, other than taking classes, other than going to rehearsal, other than rehearsal studio. You have to invest in showcases. You have to invest in seminars. You have to invest invest in, in, in EPKs. You have to invest in your business. Your art is your business. It's nobody else's. And when you make it big, then it's other people's businesses. But until you make it big, you got to make the art It's your own, it's your own business. You started a business.
0: Exactly. And I think a lot of people, when they're starting out a business or a project, they don't go into it with that mindset. They don't go to, into it with like the long-term. They're just like, I wanna make it, but they don't realize like the steps it takes. So so explain to me like the steps it took for you to get from booking that first show and, that, and making your rent that one night and then going from there, transitioning those steps to get to where you are now. And,
1: uh, I got lucky because you know, well, I'll take you all the way back to band booking 101. So when you're in a club Working in a club And the owner of the club or the GM or whoever says Okay, I want you to book this night Here's the, listen to these, you know, tapes In the, in the old days it was tapes and CDs So you'd have a big box of them And you'd listen to everyone's music And then you would like book a night Like, okay, this band's going to be great at 8 o'clock This band's going to be at 9 My headliner's at 11 Then I'm going to close it out And you would, you would basically book by ear and the problem the problem with booking by ear in Los Angeles is there's so many other things to do. So it, Los Angeles has had, had its time as a very, you know, a very, uh, you know the, I'm talking about the 80s and the Sunset Strip and Buns and Roses and Motley Crue. There was a time when L.A. was it and the Sunset Strip was it. Times changed, the internet killed the record labels, so there's not record guys out going to see you anymore. Um, so the industry changed quite a bit, uh, as far as like me knowing, you know, when I was making the full switch, like I said, I had one night, uh, my first couple shows were not good. I booked by ear. Like I said, I listened to this band. I booked them at eight. I listened to this band, put them at 10. I didn't tell them to bring people. So the sound guy was like, Hey, did you tell these bands to promote? Cause there's nobody in the club. And I'm like, what do you mean? Tell them to promote. He's like, dude, if you don't tell the bands to promote, they're not going to bring anybody. And I'm like, really? Because I was, as an actor, I was the guy always bringing people to my play. So yeah. I was naturally like, Come see me at the play, you know, I'll take you out for a drink after, or we're going to party after. So he's like, if you don't tell the bands to promote, they're not going to promote. So then I switched gears, and I was like, okay. So I told these bands, hey, you got to bring 20 people. If you bring 20 people, we'll split the door, or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, then you start saying, hey, don't book this if you can't bring anybody. And so that's sort of, you know, that's sort of when the business aspect started to, to kick in. And then at that time, we were doing venues that weren't even on the Sunset Strip. So there was overhead, but it wasn't like renting out the Roxy or the Key Club at the time or the Troubadour or the Ray, which are prominent venues here. And they are several thousands of dollars to rent out. So you have to have, you know, you have to, have, you know, have your 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 bases covered
0: yeah and i think that's something that the bands themselves don't understand i think that's a huge thing that needs to be talked about and that would be great to have your insight on it because a lot of bands think that what you do not you specifically but your industry is very sharky it's very shark-like and bands feel like young artists that are new uh can tend to get taken advantage of because they don't know what they're getting into they don't know where to start and so like that's why this podcast isn't so important to me because I have friends that are in bands. I'm in a band, you know, like these are the kind of things that if you don't know and nobody tells you you're going to get screwed.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, that's where, you know i like to feel like we're even though the business has changed so much because we used to just be local band booking service like i told you call our number we've got nights everywhere you can play there here there and that's all it was but then we started paying big national touring acts and then when you're rolling the dice on that stuff and you're renting bigger venues and it becomes really risky um and that's sort of where the the, the business shift changed at least on my end but yes if you don't take a class read a book read, listen to this podcast you know i, I speak whenever i can at musicians institute or ucla or usc because you know the artists need to hear it from somebody who was an artist on the other side and in, in, in the industry because when i was an actor at asu nobody told us the business of acting there were i graduated that college in four years and no, we had one workshop for an hour where they told us how to survive in LA and New York. There was no real time, this is how it really is, this is what to expect as an actor when you get out there. We had no, no business training for our art. And unfortunately that happens these days now with the internet and stuff like that, it's a little easier. You can sort of research anything you want now at at your fingertips and you can watch, uh, listen to podcasts and watch YouTube and people, experts will tell you, you know, things, but but back then they didn't.
0: Back then they didn't because they didn't want to give their secrets away.
1: Well, it was just, it was a different deal. I mean, we used I mean, We honestly, like the bands used to do showcases like at eight o'clock at the Viper Room on a Friday night. That was a key slot because the industry, the agents, the A&R people, they would go to an early showcase to see you, especially a Viper Room, which has always been a sexy rock club. They would go there at eight o'clock. An an industry person back then does not want to see you at 11 o'clock or 1130. They don't want to. They want to see you early so they can go on to their next thing. So in the old days, the bands would give us a big guest list. There'd be, you know, all the agents, all the managers, everyone. So it was really impressive, you know, and bands were getting signed.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's it's it is really cool to see how far you really can get if you take the right steps and you do educate yourself in the industry. Um, did you have like did you have any mentors or did you like f- like follow under somebody? Like, how did you figure all this stuff out? Was it just by trial and error, failing? Like, yeah.
1: I mean, I really, you know, for the most part, I had to figure, figure it out. I was always, uh, even as an actor and as a kid, I was always sort of business savvy. So even though business wasn't my thing, I still knew how to, you know, make a buck. Um, you know, I had a paper route and I paid another kid to do it, you know, so I still made a couple bucks. So I always sort of knew how to, you know, hustle a little bit, um, and, uh, you know, I really just sort of transform my energies and my, my brain into, you know, A, making sure that if I was going to do this, I was able to pay my rent, you know, and uh, then it became, like I said, a business and, and a big business and um, an opportunity business. And it makes me happy that we can offer local bands a chance to open up for big acts because there's not a lot of companies that do that around the country, and especially not anymore. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a business where you, you do hear of things of, you know, people are shady, people are snarky, people are whatever. It's absolutely out there. Um, I like to think we're, we're pretty basic. We're like, here's the deal. I mean, you may not like the deal, but here's the deal. So we're not hiding anything from you. Don't do it if you don't want to do it, but here's, here it is in black and white and what we're expecting. Um, and we have no problem with that. I've never had an issue with it.
0: Yeah. And so Uh, yeah, I think that's great. And and to have you explain that, I think will help a lot of people really understand that you're not just trying to take these bands money. Like there's reasons you need. It's basically like you need to secure yourself. Like it's, it's your, your name that you're protecting essentially.
1: Well, it's that. And I mean, back in the day, yeah, it was because I'd have to, I I couldn't get a Saturday night. I I had to do a Tuesday night and show them that, Hey, I got these bands or packet. If you give me a Saturday, it'll be double. Um, Well, yeah, mostly for us now, it really is the financials. Um, You know, some of these shows, we have shows that are you know, the risk is all the way up to a $100,000. It's true. so, well, you know, we'll buy, I'm giving an example right now. We, we have Wyclef John on the road right now and we bought five shows and you can imagine how much that costs and how much he costs. And then on top of renting the theater, paying for the promo, doing the radio, doing the, you know, so it is financial and we have to protect that. Now, where we can, we like to do favors. So if we have a big sold-out show and there's a band we've been working with that's really been busting their butt and doing tickets and hustling and we see it and they're good, we'll totally throw a bone, get that band on a, on a headline show and let them just play to a sold-out crowd. Additionally, we'll refer bands to agencies and booking booking agents, managers, and record labels. I've done that as well.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And and I've heard that like working with you, people have been able to get great opportunities from that. And for, for bands that are, you know, uh, let's say Southern California specifically, what sets you apart from other bookers like uh, Kelly McGarry with like booking shows or breakthrough shows? And you have like um, Angela Frost as well. So what there are different places you could go. Like you could go with you in LA and you have to do, you know, maybe like 45 pre-sales or you could go 50 miles down to Huntington beach and get paid to play somewhere with another booking agency. So what are the, what are the perks like going with, with specific uh, bookers?
1: Well, these days, um, and, and, you know, I give props to everyone else who's doing it as well. Um, you know, they're sort of doing what we did in the beginning, you know? Um, so it's, it's, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. That's where I came from. That's how I got here. So if one of those promoters you mentioned has an opportunity for a band to play a specific venue and it makes sense for the band, by all means, they should do it. Um, 90% of what we do with unsigned bands these days are offer them, Offering them chances to open up for a headliner. I don't know if those other companies are doing that. I don't really watch that because sure. we're not, the, our competition is Live Nation and AEG Golden Voice. Okay. So those are massive companies yeah. that we, we're this little company, even though we do 250 shows a year, we have to battle against them for tour dates. So I'm not really watching what those other promoters are doing, what their Saturday. Night is where it's at, or their Friday night. So, um, in contrast, what we are still offering the local bands is a chance to open up for a known act as opposed to just playing a local night.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. So, t- yeah, tell me some of the other like features, benefits, and advantages from bands going through WeBookBands.com or through Sean Healy Presents. That's, yeah, it's just everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, you really, you, you, if you book with us, you're going to get a you're going to get the opportunity to open for a national act. Um, you're going to get, you know, a lot of promotion that's already built into our vehicle. So when your name is on that, you're out there promoting yourself. Hey, I'm opening up for so-and-so let's say Wyclef. I'm opening up for Wyclef. So you're reaching your people. Hey, you're telling your friends and neighbors and, and kids at school and your work people and your boyfriend, your girlfriend. So you're promoting that same time. We're promoting you too. Cause we have your name, on our Y club stuff and our stuff we're promoting the heck out of that show and the venues promoting the heck out of that show so it's a three for one when you do when you when you book with us because you're getting three levels of promotion um now we're not saying go we know who your friends are come see the so-and-sos but your name your brand is on all of our stuff and it's being pushed out
0: yeah that and that's that should be enough for people to realize that yeah that's a great opportunity um for bands that have never heard of like doing pay-to-play shows or pre-sales and they do get like that that concept that like you do have to uh prove that you can pay or that prove that you can draw that crowd but for them what is another advantage of doing pre-sales aside from you know bringing their own friends like like exp- basically explain to them how important it is to you know do pre-sales not only for their band but for the other bands.
1: I mean, I think like I can't, again I can't speak for other promoters because I'm just not we're just not in the trenches like that anymore. Sure. Um, but the advantages are look if you don't if you don't sell your tickets you then paid to play and yep. that's not right. It doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't sit right with anyone. We're not asking you for your money. Right. We are asking you to go sell your ticket to your neighbor or your or your worker or your mom because we don't have information.
0: Yeah, we don't know. You don't know who they are.
1: (laughs) Can't get a ticket to your mom. I can't. I don't know who she is or how, where to get her. So, you know, we're encouraging you to be proud of your brand and to go do that legwork. Now, the benefits of that are. First and foremost, you're going to have your support team at your show. So you're going to have people clapping for your band. Yes, they're people you know, but the other people that will be there – when they see other people clapping, you, you feed off of it. So all of a sudden, hey, maybe you picked up a few more fans from the last band, or maybe there's some some walk-ins in there. You know, so that's the benefit of actually getting your tickets out there, getting those people to the show, and then getting whatever else the other people are there as well. It's it's a natural reaction. So in L. A. You know, people go see their friend's band and the band's done and people in L.A. tend to head for the door. They just leave. That's Fair. how it is. It's not like that in Chicago or San Francisco. People stay for all the bands. But in L.A., there's a lot going on. And so you'll, you'll invite your friend to come see your band. Your friend's going to come see your band. But when you're done, he's going to be looking at his watch like, OK, what's next? Um, now, if the next band after you does their job and has their people coming through also, And the club's packing out a little bit and you're still hanging out and you're not ready to go because you see all these other people and then this other band comes on and all of a sudden you're like wow that's a cool band too and you're sticking around only works if all the bands do their part if the next band straight paid to play and has nobody come through the door well then that first band who worked really hard other people are going to bail And then you have an angry, you have an angry bartender. You have a band who didn't, didn't push their tickets and just paid the money and they're playing in front of nobody. So it it really can work if, if everyone does their job, you know, in the beginning.
0: Sure. Uh, I do want to, let's do, uh, since we're just talking about some crazy things today, uh, I want to touch on, um, so when a band goes to book like a tour, right. Um, How do they compete with other bands that, say, have the financial funding to, you know, maybe, uh, like, self-fund a tour or pay to jump on a tour? You know what I mean? Like, how how do other bands compete with that?
1: Well, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, the bottom line is, and and maybe I, I don't know if your listeners know this, but, you know, there's a lot of bands that do buy on to tours. It goes on. Um, When you see these, you know, big warp tours and stuff like that, you have bands that they're either not getting paid anything and they have to provide their own bus and their whole thing, or they're literally giving money to the tour to play at three o'clock in the afternoon or to play out in front of the stadium. So there's a lot of that that goes on in the business as well. Um, And there's also corporate sponsorships. Sometimes there's like a clothing company that'll pay for your van or there's a weed company that'll, you know, do this, that, and the other. So, you know, those opportunities still exist. And yeah, you know, if you're lucky enough to get something like that, by all means, you should go for it. And Hey, there's nothing wrong with buying onto a tour. It's like buying onto a show. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Whatever is good for the band and whatever makes sense for the brand, that's what you got to go with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that's super, super important for people to know as well. Um, So let's do a Battle of the Bands kind of things. You know, like a lot of those things are, you know, popularity contests or social media following, that kind of stuff. Again, like what's a good way to compete uh, with that aside from playing the actual Battle of the Bands shows at the finals?
1: I mean, I think really this this came in with YouTube and social media, you know, it, it all... It all goes back to what I said at the beginning of this. If you're good, if you're good, I mean good, I mean you're unique. You don't sound like 10 other bands or all the bands on the radio. Or if you're a rapper, you don't sound like Migos. You don't sound like every other guy that's on the radio. If you're unique in what you're doing, it's going to find its lane. You know, your people, you can just put it on YouTube. If you're amazing, all of a sudden you're going to have clicks and links and likes and blah, 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 and, and and people will find out. So, you know, that's really the way I look at it is like, you, you know, not, no one who's a, a great band or a good musician is never going to get held back by fans. Because we all love music. We all crave it. We all want to hear it. We listen to it all day while we're driving and at work, in the shower, whatever. You know, so if it's good and unique, it's going to find its place and yeah. you'll find its fans.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started?
1: Hmm, that's a great question. We've it's my been favorite through
0: one. <laughs> yeah.
1: We've been through so many. Um, We've been through so many uh, battles because we literally, like, you know, we've done thousands of shows, which is just crazy because I still feel like I did, you know, 20 years ago. But I think um, me personally, we're at a point now where we've worked with every pretty much every aspect of the business. We've worked with record labels, managers, agents, road managers, tour managers, publicists, lawyers, blah, 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 blah. I'm at the point now where if I find something that's really good and unique, as opposed to just referring it, we're taking an interest in it. And we are potentially about to manage one or two people um, with towards the second half of this year. So we're, we're going to utilize all those contacts we've made over the years and try to you know, further someone's career.
0: Because it's also your investment.
1: It is, and I've also seen it get away. Um, you know, so I've seen, you know, I don't know if you know our history with like hip hop and stuff, but um, we were the first to do Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Big Sean, Future um, in Los Angeles. So, uh, w- you know, we did all those guys first before they were any, you know, as they were on the come up. Um and so that goes a long way. They all blew up, which is awesome. Um, but you know, we we want to find the next one because we've met all these people over the years and we want to sort of cultivate this person's career and help out. So that we're not gonna let someone get away who we see as being great anymore because we did that.
0: Wow. Um for bands that might want to reach out to uh to yourself where would they find you and where can they where can they submit their music like how do you what is your what is your uh, sorting process now
1: so we have a team of people here four or five people other than myself Um, and the best way really is to go to webookbands.com there's a info news, uh, info one sheet that you fill out on there about your band. We get all the emails, all the submissions, and then we'll contact you. Um, and then we'll you know we'll build a relationship, via email or phone, and you'll tell us what you know where you're from, what you're looking for, what you want to do, and we'll see what fits. Inevitably, it turns into phone conversations, and then inevitably, if something makes sense, we'll book you on a show. We'll issue you a contract. A lot of times these are people's first contracts I've ever seen. Um, it's pretty black and white and uh, you read it and you, you sign it and send it back. We get you your tickets if you're doing tickets on a show and there's a deposit and then the rest is history. You know, um, what you don't do is you don't come in my office and you don't have to buy 50 tickets and then you go out and, and hit the, the payment. We, we set it up. It's really been user friendly for many years. Um, so, we do, we do make you put a small deposit down. It's usually 20% of whatever you're doing. Um, and then we release everything to you and then you turn in the rest of the money, you know, prior to the show if you're pre-selling.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, other than that, like what, like how many submissions do you guys get regularly? Like, uh, say, give me like uh, in a week, like how many submissions could you receive?
1: I mean, I, I think around hundred, I don't really, they don't go to me. They go to Im, info, we right. Book bands and then the bookers sort of go through it probably at least a hundred, but it's probably more, um, you know, if, if you're a new listener and you're in a, you're in a band or you're an artist, um, I would encourage you to sign up at weBookbands.com. It's just, there's no money. It's just simple. You just, you know, fill out the one sheet. Um, and then we do send out an email every Monday, that's um, the available gigs email, and it's everything we're looking for in all the markets. Um, and then, you know, if you see something you like, you call us up, you are like, hey, what's up with that Clef show?
0: That's what the email has to say, by the way. Yo, what's up with that Wyclef show?
1: Well, that's what happens. So a lot of times people will just call and they'll be like, hey, what do you got? You know, I'm just, I booked a show with you in 2010. What, What shows do you have? You know, and we're like, hey, man, you know, check out the website. We always update it. It's right there. You can see where we are, what we're doing and where we're looking for support. And oh, then our insane. Twitter and our Face Facebook and Instagram at WeBook Bands. It's the best way to to find out if you're a local band. It's the best way to find out what's going on. Right? If you're an unsigned band, I should say, it's the best way to find out what opportunities we have are out there for you to get on.
0: Got you. So, what uh, what's the differentiation between WeBook Bands and Sean Healy Presents?
1: So uh, that's a great question. Um, so WeBook Bands is the uh, unsigned arm of the company meaning if you're unsigned and you want to get on a big show, that's the site you go to. Um, Sean Healy Presents slash SHP Tickets. SHP Tickets is where we send the public to go buy tickets for the shows. Um, But Sean Healy Presents is more of the the title for the national shows, the the big, you know, the big concerts. And that's more of... um, the talent buying aspect of things that we do here and sending offers and, and things of that nature and billing mostly, you know, on the, on the title of the show.
0: Okay. Uh, for people that might want to get involved in the booking side or the business side of music, where, where would you recommend that they start other than like YouTube and podcasts, like, like physically like venues and bands and.
1: So I'm a big, um, I'm a big advocate of interning. Um, and we have interns here every day. We've had them for years. Um, if you have the time in your day where you can intern for, you know, two to four hours a week or 10 hours a week, whatever you can do, you learn so much by doing that. And we've had so many interns go on to either work for us or work for other companies. So, you know, you started, you sort of got to start out on ground level, but you'll learn a lot. And, um, I would definitely get, recommend an internship sure. if you want to learn. If you want to learn the business side of things, even if you're in a band, you know we have. like we have two interns right now that are musicians, and they just wanted to learn the other end of it. So they come in here once or twice a week, and you know they learn a lot because we're a small company. So they hear the conversations and see the meetings, and you know they they get on-hand
0: knowledge. And they put their postcards and headshots in the lunches.
1: Yeah, well, I would do that. That's what
0: sure. I'm saying. That's like exactly what you would have done. That's what I would have done. It's just basically people need to understand that they need to do this next step that makes sense. Whether you're afraid of it or not, just take it.
1: And let me let me just tell you tell you this and for your listeners, for those of you who are in bands that play local, you know, play live shows, wherever you play, whether it's a big club or the local bar down the street, number one advice whenever I'm asked Tip the sound guy, give that sound guy 10 bucks or 20 bucks. He will make you sound like a rock star. If you don't, that guy's already seen 25 bands that week. So you're going to have a miserable time. So invest the 10 bucks or 20 bucks into the sound man's hands. It's the best money you'll ever spend.
0: That's absolutely so true so true and i've heard that from you know bands that are like really killing it like they've figured that out like it's so simple and people don't think about it like if you want to sound good it's not just you it's literally there's so much more to a show than that
1: 10 bucks goes a long way i just tell you so that's that's that and be nice to the promoters be nice to the venue you want to have a good positive experience so they have you back But, you know, in order to just make your situation sound good and have a good experience on stage, as soon as you get there, meet the sound guy, say, hey, man, take care of us tonight, man, please. My my friend's out there. My mom's out there. It goes a long way.
0: Oh, yeah. And they totally get it. You know, like they know that it's a struggle. So if they if they can do something to help you out as well and they benefit from it as well, then, yeah, they're going to they're not going to say no.
1: Yeah, because you got to remember, normally these guys are mixing three or four bands a night times five to seven nights a week. So you could be band 25 that they've seen that week already. And they're just done. It's just plug and play. We don't care. You know, blah, blah, blah. So tip the sound guy.
0: Tip the sound guy, you guys. <laughs> so what is uh, what's next for uh, Sean Healy Presents and We Book Bands? What are your uh, next step, your goals?
1: Well, we're, you know, we're, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're potentially going to manage one or two acts, which will be cool. Uh, It'll be new, but it'll be cool. Um, We're always sort of looking to expand. So we're always looking for new venues and potential cities. Um, You know, we're, we're. We have a lot of going on, on the West Coast, but in the Midwest, we just have Chicago, which is where I'm from originally. So, we're looking to potentially add another Midwest city or two there, so that the, the, they can drive the shows. You know, the artists can can drive three markets. Yeah, definitely. A lot of, a lot of it becomes geography and dr- can you drive the tour? Can you get from you know Sacramento to Portland in a day? You know, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You learn your geography. Yeah,
0: <laughs> surprisingly, right. The things we hated to learn in school. Now we have to know. All right. So uh, any final advice for anybody out there listening that might still be a little bit apprehensive?
1: I would just say, you know, keep grinding. Um, be professional. I can't tell you how far that goes with everyone you meet. Like we just talked about with the sound guy or the promoter or the, the, the bartender. Just be pro. It just goes a long way. Um, and then, you know, just hang in there. Like I said, great music will find its way um and you know just whatever makes sense for the band some some shows are going to make sense for you some of them are going to not make sense for you some of them are going to be like well i can make 50 dollars playing at this irish bar here or i could sell a thousand dollars worth of tickets to open for this band at the troubadour so you have to weigh the options sometimes that 50 dollar thing is good that's cool sometimes taking that risk and opening for a band at the Troubadour or the El ray or the Viper Room or whatever. Sometimes you need that on your resume. And I would say this, even though, you know, the ticket thing can sound scary and why is it like this? And why? And I think I laid it out pretty, pretty much for you guys on this, but just remember one thing, if you open for a headlining band, that's on your resume for life. That never goes away. So you can, yeah, you may, you be able to tell your grandkids. Yeah. Opened for Kendrick Lamar at the key club in 2013. And let me tell you, there were bands that opened for Kendrick Lamar on that those nights. So, you know, we had we had the strokes. We had bands open for the strokes. We had bands open for, for plain white tees. I mean, we we did a ton of it. So, you know, when you if you have to commit to a pre-sale or consignment and it's to open for a headliner just remember that that gig never goes away you can talk about it for the rest of your life put it in your epk put it on your resume and it, it looks good it makes the band look good
0: yep awesome awesome and uh for people that want to uh, get in touch with you and maybe pick your brain a little bit more or get more info about we bands and sean healy where can they go
1: yeah webookbands.com uh, Um, And just fill out the thing there and watch us on our socials. Everything's at WeBookBands.com.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Sean.
1: Thanks for having me and take care.
0: I hope you guys understand now why it's important to do pre-sales, why it's important to work your way up the ranks, work your way up to the headlining shows. I hope you guys understand what it takes to become a tour-worthy act. To become an act that is worth booking, an act that is worth the following, the act that is worth the money that's invested. I hope you guys learned something from this episode. I really do. I learned a ton. I didn't know shit about booking bands. So thank you, Sean, for teaching me something. Like I said, guys, this podcast isn't just for me, it's for you guys, but I have the benefit of getting to learn and ask the questions firsthand. And if you have questions, I want you to ask me. Hit me up on Instagram at K Anagonio Photography or on Twitter at K Anagonio. Drop your questions over there and I'll, uh, I'll get them addressed on this podcast. Let me know who you guys would want to be on this podcast. Share it, hashtag Project Freelance. Rate it, leave a comment down below. And you guys, if you want to figure out the inside scoop of whatever industry it is you are in, get an internship get an internship if just use your brain use your brain do what Sean did do something similar he was an actor he put his headshot and his resume in every lunch that he delivered when he first got to Hollywood you can do that shit too with your business cards i sell i sell like i sell things online right and whenever i mail it to somebody even if they're not somebody that follows my stuff I'll put like my business cards in there so people know what's up. So, like I said, thank you guys. Thank you, Sean. I'll talk to you guys next week on the podcast. Stay tuned. Stay locked. If you guys want to check out my documentary, go to respectthecrew.com. Talk to you guys later.